All right, so let's get things uh, settled down. Yeah. Yeah, you got one. All right. Give that one to Brendan needs one too. Brendan. Oh. Ah. All right. That's right. That's right. Keep your hand up. You need the sunny sheet. Elliot will get it for you. You got it. You got it. All right. So while Elliot is uh, picking up the slack on uh, getting stuff in order, <laughs> so um, so to get things started for tonight. Uh, we know we're going to be getting into what we're calling the potential pitfalls. Now, I talked about this last week, and we've been doing this series now for you know quite some time during quarantine, and then uh, coming out of quarantine, getting into camp and stuff. So, I think this message tonight is quite timely, uh, based on some of the things that I know of personally, even in my own life. But coming out of camp, we talked about the fact that you know coming out of camp, talking about Esther, that when Esther finally was in a position where she said, "Okay, I'm willing to accept God's will." For my life, and if I perish, I perish. You guys remember that? When she talked about that, she made that decision. And so when she got to that spot, then the next chapter, that's where you had Haman. And he started to turn his head and devise an evil plan to destroy the Jews, specifically through Mordecai. And so we talked about coming out of camp that there's going to be opposition to your obedience. Now, how many of you so far since coming back from camp, or even in general, if you didn't go to camp, have been feeling some opposition over the last three weeks? All right. Okay. There's no joke, right? Sometimes it's more serious than others, but we need to talk about this. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about this, at least two weeks, maybe three, depending on where we go with this. But I think we just need to spend some time really talking about it. So in review, talking about our series so far, this has been our picture. And so this is kind of to bring everybody up to speed. If you've not been a part of what we've been doing so far, this has been our picture. This has been almost like our word diagram and how we start in the middle with our communication with God and how this is the key to everything. So when it comes to your relationship with God, the reason why you and I struggle with reading the Bible consistently, memorizing passages of scripture, having the desire to actually do God's will, or even the desire to pray on a daily basis throughout your week is because we're often distracted and we're distracted from having good communication with God, having that close, personal, intimate relationship with God. And I know for me, whenever I do a heart check, if, if things are not right and I'm out of sorts and I feel like I'm more in my flesh than normal, I'm getting frustrated, I'm dealing with sin issues, I always go back here. Because the reason why I'm struggling with my reading, the reason why I'm struggling with my prayer, the reason, the reason why I'm struggling with sharing the gospel with people, being faithful in discipleship and doing the things that even my discipler asks me to do, when it comes to studying the Bible, when it comes to memorizing the Bible, it all comes back down to this point right here, keeping your heart. What was our verse for that? Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your decisions, all the decisions that you make, the thoughts that you have, the words that you say, they all come out of your heart. Jesus talked about that. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And similarly, out of the overflow of your heart, decisions are made on one way or another to glorify God or to glorify yourself or whatever else you might want to put in there. And so your heart is critical. And so you need to learn how to keep your heart. But Jeremiah 17, 9 talks about that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And so Proverbs 23, 26, you want to remember that one? This is going way back, a couple months. Anyone know that one? That's right. I wouldn't expect you guys to know it. First word, 
My. <laughs> my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. So from God's perspective, he's telling you, my son, my daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways and you'll know exactly what to do. And see, that's usually our problem is that we're not willing to submit our will to God's. When God tells us to go left, we want to go right. When God says move forward, we want to stand still because we're stubborn and we're prideful. And so when God tells you to do something, do you do it? And maybe you're like, well, God doesn't speak to me. Well, chances are God isn't speaking to you because you're not actually listening to him. Because you can even read this book and never hear anything from God. It all has to go back to your heart. And so I try to make it a habit in my own life is that when I come to a spot in my, in my life, even if I start to read the Bible and I start to flippantly read the Bible, I have to stop myself. I have to stop myself and I have to really spend some time with God saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm just going into your Bible. I'm taking it for granted. I know that when I read your words, that's you talking to me. And then when I pray back to you, that's me talking to you. And I can't take that for granted. And I'm sorry. So when I read your word, please show me something. Teach me. Whatever you want to teach me, show that to me. And I pray that you'd help me to be obedient. And having something like that between me and God helps to rekindle those things in my heart. Because there's days where we don't get in our Bible. Like we're like, ugh. But I will say this until the day that I die. Every time that my heart has not wanted to get into the scriptures, and then I make a decision to override my stubborn will to be obedient to God, and I get in it, I never regret it. I never regret it. Ever. There's not a single time that I have read God's word and have regretted reading God's word. There's not been a single time that I have prayed to God and I have regretted praying to God. Can you think of one? But on the flip side, I have a lot of regrets from not listening to God. And I have a lot of regrets by not hearing from God and praying and talking to him. I have a lot of regrets. I, kind of pro- I probably could have been saved a lot of heartache if I would have just done those things. So that's where it begins. And we spend, I want to spend most of our time just hitting that over and over to remind you guys that that is where it's at. Because you can't do God's work. You can't really grow and become strong in your walk with God if you're not tending to this. If you're not making sure that this is where it's supposed to be. And this is the key to everything. Like, I don't care how old you get. I mean, you could get as old as like my grandpa was, 90 years old. His issue between him and God is the same as mine today. It's this. It always comes back down to my heart. And so it's always going to be the issue. It's the fundamentals. And so we need to make sure that we get that down. Okay. Then we spend some time talking about once you spend time, good quality time with God, it's not as much of a struggle to read or to pray. And then the natural overflow out of that communication, that relationship, is that you will work for God. And you'll want to grow because out of working for God, you will grow. You're going to be in circumstances where you're witnessing to somebody and you don't know how to answer their questions or you don't know how to approach this scenario. Or you're in discipleship and your discipler is challenging you on something. Like maybe you're terrible at memorizing verses or you struggle with studying the Bible. And they really push you for you to grow. That's the strength training portion. (laughs) And once you begin to grow then you really can work with God because you're stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Then comes potential pitfalls because now you're on the enemy's radar. Now he sees something that could really cause him some serious damage and there's pitfalls. He's going to throw things your way in order to get you tripped up. And God is going to allow things into your life in order to see what, you, what are you going to do about it. Because maybe it's something you've been faced with over and over again, and he allows it to unfold just to see how you're going to respond so you can see what's in your own heart and maybe see some other things you need to grow in. 
So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about potential pitfalls. All right, so here we go. So the most dangerous person to the enemies of God is a common man or woman that believes and obeys the Bible, and that is absolutely true. You know, I think there's a lot of people that think that they have to be something special in order to do something special for God. And that is not necessarily the case. When you read the Bible, the reason why we look up to guys like David, I mean, think about David for a second. What made David so special? It was his heart. But think about where he came from. How many brothers did he have? Anybody know? This is like trivia night. (laughs) Six. He was the seventh. He was the youngest. He was the baby of the family, kind of like me. You know, relate. All right. So you have, you have this kid who, when Samuel was going to try to find the next king, because Saul just totally messed everything up. So when Samuel was sent by God to this guy's house, and it was one of his sons, God's like, nope, it's not that one. Nope, it's not that one. And he began at the oldest and went all the way down to the youngest. But David wasn't even there. David was out in the field, and he was tending to the sheep. And so he asked David's father, do you have any more sons? He says, yeah, I do. He's out tending to the sheep. Well, go and call him. And when they called him in, it said that he was ruddy, dirty. I mean, he was, but he was there and God's like, that's it. It's him. And it wasn't about his appearance. It wasn't about his, his status in the family. It wasn't about his birth order. It was about his heart attitude. And I love that about David. And so because of that, he ended up doing some great things for God because of his heart attitude. And his heart, when it started to stray, he, meant he was in a world of hurt. And we spent some time talking about that with the whole issue with Uriah and Bathsheba. Uh, and so you guys know that story pretty well. So it's the same for you and I. Like, you may read old, like, I, I love reading missionary stories. And I'm thinking about a few now just because we're going to, we're gearing up for our missions conference. So we're going to be having our very first missions conference in September. It's going to be exciting. And we're going to do like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing. And so we're going to be telling stories of missionaries. And we're going to have some skits and stuff of, of missionaries. And, um, and so I've been thinking about some of these things. Man, when you read some of the stories of the lives of missionaries, both missionary guys and ladies that went out and risked their lives to serve God. When you look at them, you're like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. I could never do anything like that. Why not? I mean, seriously, why not? Why couldn't you do something like that? What made them so special that they went out and they did it? They had a heart for God. They spent time with God and God moved in their heart to go do something amazing. So, In your guys' lives, you guys need to cultivate that because you need to get into the pattern of not limiting God. Don't tell God no. I think there's a lot of people that say no to God a lot just because they think they can't. Why not? I mean, you have no idea what God can do with you. But there's a lot of people now, even at your age, say, no, I could never do that. I remember asking a bunch of guys at one point, "Um, do you think that you could do what I do one day? They're like, no. I'm like, why not? I never thought I could do the things that God has for me. I didn't. So it was one of those things. You just need to keep that kind of an attitude in your own heart, in your own life, and let God do whatever he wants with you. But it begins with your heart. So the most dangerous person to the enemies of God is a common man or woman that believes and obeys the Bible. The world, the devil, and your flesh knows this to be absolutely true. So they will do anything and everything possible to stop you from communicating with God growing strong in your relationship with God and working with God in the work of the Lord. He is going to try to do whatever he can. So we're going to spend some time tonight just covering point number one, and that is identifying and knowing your enemies. And I want you to be able to walk away from this knowing who your enemies are for sure 
and I want you to be able to know how to overcome them. I mean, those are my two goals for tonight. Know the enemies, and how, am I, how in the world am I going to overcome these enemies? Because they are real. And a lot of you guys have begun to experience this already since coming home from camp and other things going on in your life. All right, so identify and know your enemies. That's our first point for tonight. And that is, um, oh yeah, I wanted to show you this picture. I love this. Anybody recognize this? My generation should. Oh, yeah. What is it? You remember? I remember the name. I just know the, I just know the era. Yeah. Uh, Ricky, do you know that one? Tarzan. Nope. Okay. It's an old game. Is it Contra? On Atari. It was an old... Oh. <laughs> That's the oldest game you know? Oh my gosh. Alright. It was Atari. Anyone remember the Atari console? Okay. Yeah. Alright. This was Pitfall. Pitfall. Right? Potential pitfalls is Pitfall. I love this game. It's so much fun. Go, you can go online and probably find an Atari emulator and play it. It's a lot of fun. All right. Anyway. All right. So that's Pitfall. Okay. So the one thing that I did want to hit actually before going on from there is we're going to be talking about this in future weeks. So I want to talk about identifying the enemies, but I want to get into some of this stuff. So when you have personal sin issues, what do you do about it? Because those are definitely potential pitfalls. Uh, when it comes to relationships, both friendships, uh, both the entanglements of the opposite sex um, and different things like that. They can cause, those can be potential pitfalls, ruts and plateaus, because you can be growing in your relationship with God, but you get to a point where you just fall into a rut, or you feel like you're not really progressing with God, and that could be a struggle. And then life transitions. Life transitions are hard, and they are potential pitfalls. A lot of people get derailed because of life transitions. And so if you haven't really thought about it lately, over the course of the last week or so, please be praying for our seniors. Pray for our seniors. Pray for our incoming freshmen. It's a great time of vulnerability. And the decisions they make out of these next, uh, really, several months can really make or break a lot of things. So be praying for them. Okay, so here's what we're going to talk about with our enemies, the enemies of, of, that are coming in against us, identifying and knowing your enemies. And so here they are. You have the word, the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So those are your first three blanks here under point number one. The world, the flesh, the devil. Identifying and knowing your enemies. And so let's go ahead and turn to John 17. John 17. John chapter 17. And somebody take James 4.4. 4. James 4.4. 4. You got it, Carson. Sorry, he beat you out, Timmy. John 17. All right, John 17. So Jesus is praying to God the Father, and in verse 10, he tells God the Father, All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So he is glorified in them, for sure. And then look at verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And so this is Jesus' prayer about you concerning the world. He says very specifically that the world hates you. It hates you. It wants to destroy your life. And how he's praying that you would not really get a part in any part of the world. 
that you should that the father should keep them from the evil of the world. And so we know that the world is definitely our enemy. All right, James four four. Carson, read that one. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God, or is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Okay, so if you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Now, how awkward is it to be in the family of God and yet love the world? It would be very awkward because it has no place in you. The world does not belong with God. The world hates God, but God so loved the world. And so there's that whole tension that goes on there. He died for the world, but the world does not want anything to do with God. And yet, if you choose to be friends with the world, you have to compromise and give up things in order to be part of the world. So you're in the family of God, and so the world should have no part in you. And it's very easy to love the things of the world. It's very easy to get sucked up into it, and we have to really guard our hearts. So that is the world. The world is your enemy. It is not a place where we belong, and that's why we feel that we're out of place. And if you don't feel out of place in this world, then there's something wrong. If you feel too comfortable here, if you have a bunch of lost friends, and you just feel very, very comfortable around your lost friends, there's something wrong. Because you just don't have things in common. It's not that you can't have lost friends. Of course you can have lost friends. How in the world are you going to win someone to Christ if you don't have lost people around you? But you just don't fit. It's, it just it doesn't fit. You know, it's like when you're trying to put a battery in wrong. You know, <laughs> if you ever tried to do that, it's terrible. And then you get it stuck and then you start breaking stuff. Like that's kind of how we are in this world. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So then you have our second enemy, the flesh. Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. The flesh is your enemy. Romans chapter 7. Verse 18. Someone read that. Verse 18. Timmy, you got it. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, willeth no good thing, for to willeth present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Okay. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There is nothing good in our flesh. Nothing. Nothing at all. Our flesh does not want to obey God. That's why when you wake up in the morning, oftentimes, what do we want to do? Snooze. <laughs> Snooze. Eat? Yeah, that's you. No, OP? Yeah, it has to do with your flesh. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's youth appropriate. <laughs> you hit the snooze. Like, how many of you set at least four alarms in the morning? Three. <laughs> Three. All right. Who sets four? Anybody? Four. <laughs> Sometimes. Don't be ashamed. It's all right. Four? Yeah. <laughs> of all of them? <laughs> Sometimes I hate it when I get up in the morning and I know my alarm's going to go off in the next 30 minutes and I'm like, great, how am I going to go back to sleep now because my alarm's going off in the next 30 minutes? Yeah. We, especially as Americans in the day and age in which we live, it is so easy to gratify our flesh. It's so easy. Like if, if your parents cook something for dinner or they bring something home for dinner and you're like, ugh, I don't want that. That's your flesh. That's totally your flesh. You know, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. I'm craving pizza. That is your flesh. That is totally your flesh. Your flesh is your enemy. Anytime you desire something, I want pizza. No, I don't want pizza. I want pizza. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That'd be weird. All right. But your flesh, in your flesh dwells no good thing. And look at the struggle that Paul shares in verse 18. He says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Now he's talking about strictly in his flesh. He has a desire to do what's right, but yet he can't find a way to do it in his flesh. That's because it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. There's no way that you can please God in your flesh. There's no way. Absolutely no way. 
And so look at verse 24. So his conclusion to this whole concept is, he says in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So he realizes there's nothing inside of him. And, and thankfully, you know, God knows that we're sinners. Um, and so he is very good and very patient towards us. But that's no excuse for us to continue in sin. Absolutely not. But there's that struggle. So your flesh is your enemy. And it's probably one of the most deceitful enemies that you have because it's with you all the time. And then lastly, the devil. The devil. Go to First Peter. First Peter 5. First Peter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 8. Who wants to read that one? Isaac. Okay. So right there, he is compared to what? A roaring lion, and that lion is walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And he is specifically called in here, your adversary, your adversary. So these are the three enemies. Uh, there's no more, there's no less. Those are the three enemies that exist in our world today. The world, our flesh, and the devil, and they come against us all the time. And so you have to know that. You have to know that. You have to know that when you begin to walk with God, this world is going to give you a hard time. Things are going to, ha- going to happen in this world to try to stop you from being obedient. You have to know that your flesh is going to want to get in the way. And that's why on days that you feel like not coming to church, on days that you feel like not meeting with someone who's discipling you, on days where you feel like not opening up the Bible, that you don't feel like praying, that you don't feel like evangelizing, that you don't feel like serving, do it anyway. You just do it anyway. Because that's your flesh trying to stop you from moving forward. And of course you have the devil. And the devil, thankfully, he's not omnipotent. He's not uh, omniscient. He doesn't, he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He can't be everywhere at once. But he does employ spiritual weakness in high places. He has principalities that are at work around us. And there are sometimes that, frankly, there's just spiritual warfare. There's things that are going on that are affecting. There are circ- there's conversations that I've had with people that make zero sense. Zero sense. But when it unfolds, I'm like, I'm telling you, there's something else that's going on here. And I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm not trying to be weird or super charismatic or anything, but I wouldn't be surprised that there is a devil behind that circumstance trying to get that person under my skin so I react in my flesh and I don't walk with God. Those things do happen. You know, just because you read about devil possession in the Gospels does not mean it doesn't happen today. It does. It happened then, it's happening today. But the enemy is very good at what he does, and he's not going to be as open about it in our culture because we don't live in a superstitious culture. But if you were to go to places like in Mexico or the Dominican Republic or Haiti or the Philippines or places like that in Central America, you will find that there's a lot of demonic activity that's going on where there are devils that actually do possess people. He's just really good at what he does. And so those things are happening today. And so those are our enemies. Those are our three enemies. You got to know that you have enemies that are coming against you. So get into your walk with God already knowing that there is going to be opposition. If you're thinking in those terms, it's going to be much easier to wake up in the morning and to be able to tackle the things that are in front of you. So that way, when something comes up, you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? I wasn't even expecting this. No, just expect it. Expect opposition to happen. Expect yourself not to feel like obeying God. Expect all those things, and then it won't take you by surprise. All right, and here's a second point that we definitely need to talk about before getting to our last point, and that is all the enemies of God have been defeated. This is good for you to know. 
All the enemies of God have been defeated. So we're going to go right down the line, same thing. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So those are the first blanks on, on each check mark there. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world has been defeated, the flesh has been defeated, and the devil has been defeated. Go over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Just a little bit to your right. 1 John chapter 5. Okay, 1 John chapter 5, and then um, give me someone that will go to Romans ten seventeen. Let's go over here. We've had like three over here. Perfect. Emily, go for it. Romans ten seventeen. Okay, so your first point here. All the enemies of God have been defeated. The world has been defeated by the word. By the word. By the word of God. The world has been defeated by the word of God. And I'm going to show you exactly how it's been defeated by the word of God in verses that will back that up. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? I love this verse. So if you are born again, which means you've come to a point where you know you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and you've called upon Jesus to save you, you are born again. God's Spirit comes in and lives inside of you. But it says very specifically that when you are born again, you have overcome the world. It's over. And it says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And then, verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now listen to that and then listen to Romans ten seventeen. Go ahead, Emily. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How in the world are you going to have faith if you never hear anything from the Bible, right? It makes perfect sense to me. So if you are born again, it's because you heard the Bible preached to you and you chose to believe it. You heard it and it stirred up inside of you faith, believing it to then overcome the world. So the way you overcome this world is that you have faith in what the Bible says. The Bible says that this world is your enemy. Do you believe that? Do you have that faith? Do you believe that in your heart that that is absolutely true? When the world starts to get you to do something that is according to the course of this world, do you, are you able to recognize that? And do you believe what the Bible says over what the world is telling you to do? Because there's the choice you have to make. The world is telling you to do something and God is telling you to do something. And so if God is telling you to do something and you act upon that, you have faith in what God has said, then you can overcome the world. Or... You will have faith in what the world says, and then you'll go down that path. You're going to have faith either way. It's just a matter of where you're putting your faith in, the word of God or the world. And the choice is up to you on that one. And so the world has been defeated by the word. The word of God is the only thing that we can have that actually is, a, is an offensive weapon in, in spiritual warfare. We need to choose to believe what it says over what other people are telling us. And I'm telling you, man, all the junk that's out there right now, <laughs> what are you going to believe? I mean, what in the world are you going to believe? Are you going to believe all the stuff that's being pumped out there? I mean, even as you guys get back into school, I know school's going to change a little bit here and there about how they do things. But what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what they're telling you at school? Or are you going to believe the Bible? Some of you are going to believe what your family's telling you at home, or are you going to believe the Bible? Now, that may hit a little bit more home, and I don't want to say that's not a license to disrespect your parents or disobey your parents. But it's getting you to think a little bit because sometimes parents will take a stand on issues that are completely opposite from what the Bible says. So what are you going to do? 
Are you going to have faith in what your parents say or are you going to have faith in what God says? And God tells you how to deal with those scenarios. Your friends, your friends are going to tell you what to believe. Are you going to just have faith in what your friends say or are you going to have faith in what God says? All right, and then your flesh. Your flesh has been defeated by the, you want to guess it? By the word. Your flesh has been defeated by the word. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Great verses to memorize if you don't have them memorized. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your, what's the word? Bodies. That is your flesh, right? So that's your flesh. Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, the world wants to control your body. The world wants to control your body, and you have a choice to make. Are you going to give your flesh as a living sacrifice to God to be obedient in those things in your body or not? And the only way you can do that is by not being conformed to this world. You can't conform. Probably one of the greatest illustrations that I, I just love. Growing up, did you guys love playing with uh, Play-Doh? Yes, yes. Yeah, Play-Doh is so much fun. How many of you ate Play-Doh? Yeah. Okay, all right. I knew there's a few weirdos out there. All right, there's many that are like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. So, Play-Doh. The fun thing about Play-Doh is that you can make it into anything that you want. Anything. Or even Legos. You can take blocks of Legos and you can make it into anything that you want. It conforms it. Now, I love it with Play-Dohs. Play-Dohs. <laughs> I love them Play-Dohs. With the Play-Doh, you'd have these little things that you'd take and you just smash into it. And it would conform into the image of whatever that is. And you can make... I mean, some people are just weird about it. And they make like these gourmet burgers that look like you can eat them and all that stuff. But it's amazing what you can actually do. And so, what? That's what I would eat. Yeah, eat the burgers. <laughs> so, it's the same thing. So, your flesh is like Play-Doh. So, the next time you see Play-Doh, think of your flesh. Your flesh is like Play-Doh. You can make it conform into anything that you want. You can put it into the mold of this world and make it look like the things of this world, or you can put it in the hands of God and let him mold you however you want. It's completely up to you. But your flesh is moldable. It's your choice on which one you're going to be conformed to. And so when it comes to this issue, this is very, very important. And there's another really good verse that I really want to hit. 1 Corinthians 6. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. A little bit to your right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We hit this one a little while ago, and I thought we'd just bring it back up again. Um, I love these verses. Again, another two verses that are just great to memorize. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Someone read them for me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Timmy, you already did. Sam, you can go for it. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, so your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And very specifically, when you're born again, you belong to God, you are not your own anymore. So you don't have the right to make these choices. You don't have the right to, to make choices that just, like, you think that your choices can't... That's probably my kid. Sounds like my kid. Yeah, it totally is. Ah! All right, so anyway... Um, you don't have the right to make choices on your own anymore. You just don't. Like you have to take God into consideration when you're making choices about your life and who you are. You must, you have to. If you don't, you're going to be making choices that are not pleasing to God. And he says very clearly, you are not your own anymore. And here's why, for you've been bought with a price. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that was the price for you. 
And so to purchase your eternity, you now belong to God. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, when I think about that, there are some days that, and I've said this before, that I feel like my flesh gets in the way. And, and I feel like I can't, there are certain sin issues, there are certain things that I struggle with, they're just my weaknesses that are in my flesh. But God said that I'm supposed to glorify him in my body. In my body, like even in those things, my body belongs to him. Yeah, I know my spirit belongs to him because the Bible teaches that when you're born again, his spirit moves in and permanently unites with your spirit. So now your spirit and his spirit are now one. It's like a marriage ceremony that happens at salvation. And you can't separate the two anymore. So your spirit now belongs to him. And that's amazing. But your body belongs to him too. And so what are the things that you do in your body? You know, what, I mean, just start thinking about what do, you, what do you do with it? I mean, what do you eat? What do you watch? What do you listen to? Where do you take your body? What do you allow your body to be involved in? You start going through the list of things. Does those, do those things glorify God? Because we're supposed to, even in those things. Well, I can't glorify God in my flesh. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. By submitting your flesh, your body to God's will so you can glorify him. But it is something that's going to come against you every single day. Every single day. All right, and then lastly, the devil has been defeated by the Bible, the Word, the Word, the B I B L E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B I B L E. Bible. Yes. <laughs> All right, go to First John, First John two, First John two, First John chapter two. First John 2, verse 12, it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. That's the devil, the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. See, right there it is. At the end of 14, the way that you overcome the wicked one, the devil, and all of his principalities and powers is because of the word of God. When you choose to believe the word of God over anything he throws your way, you can overcome him. That's what Jesus did, right? In Matthew chapter four, you have the temptations. And there's only three that are recorded. I have a feeling there's probably more that happened during the 40 days in the desert. But there are three that are recorded. And what did Jesus say every single time? Three words. It is written. And then he quoted Deuteronomy. He quoted Exodus. He quoted passages in the Old Testament. If Jesus had to use the Bible to overcome the devil, do you really think that you don't need to do that too? Because I'm pretty sure Jesus is like way better than me on like everything. <laughs> and if he needed to do that, so do I. So do I. It's the only way. The Bible is everything. The Bible is everything. Because it's God's word. And it has power. And you can read Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 later. It talks about putting on the armor of God and it talks about the principalities and powers. That's a really good passage for that one. But let's go to James 4. James chapter 4, verse 7. James, a little bit to your left. James chapter 4. And uh, someone read 7 and 8. Let's go this side of the room. 7 and 8. Someone over here. All right, go ahead, Alana. 
draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Okay, so we are double-minded, we are sinners, and we need to be cleansed. And the only way that's going to happen is if we draw nigh to God. If you draw nigh to God, he promises he will draw nigh to you. How in the world are you going to draw nigh to God? How do you get close to God? Where is God? <laughs> Don't overthink it. He's everywhere. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is a true statement. He is everywhere. Yeah. Come on. I hear whispers. <laughs> the Bible. The Bible is also called the mind of God. It's the mind of Christ. It is his book. There's a lot of people that have a hard time and say, well, no, that book was written by men. Yes, it was written by men, but God inspired and he moved men to write his word. The reason why you know this is God's word is, I mean, there's many different things, but just off the top of my head, the reason why you can trust this book over anything else is because there's no contradictions in it whatsoever. None. It was written over a period of almost 2,000 years by 40 plus different authors from like, I mean, at least 12 different nations. And yet it all agrees together. All of it from beginning to end. Over 2,000 years, 40 different dudes wrote this book and you cannot find a single contradiction or a single error in the Bible. Who can do that? Like, just say for example, like how many people do we have in this room? <laughs> right off the bat, boom. I don't know how many we have. We have probably, let's see, we had 40 study sheets. How many do we have left over? One. One. All right, so we have 39 people in the room. All right, I make 40, okay? You didn't get one? All right, there you go, 41. All right, 41, got to make it odd. <laughs> all right, 41, okay? So if we all, just, just take this as an example, all right? If we all were to write something in just a small paragraph and we gave you the subject to write on, like let's just say uh, you're going to write about like, I don't know, somebody give me something. How to make a peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> all right, there you go. I like, I like how to make a peanut butter and jelly, all right? So it doesn't matter if you like peanut butter and jelly or if you're allergic to the, to the P and the PB&J, whatever. You can write, <laughs> write out, how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And we all did that independently. And we went our own separate ways and we wrote out a paragraph of instructions on how to write peanut butter and jelly. How many of us would actually be able to put them all together and there would be zero contradictions? <laughs> the statistical, I mean, factor of all that is outrageous. You could not put everything together and they all agree together. And we are all in the same room within the same time. Think about 40 different authors over 2,000 years from different cultures and nationalities. That is absolutely impossible. So you got to know this is God's book. It's God's book. And so I love that because it gives us an example here of something we can really hang our hat on. So if we're going to draw an eye to God through his word and really believe what he says, and we're going to pray and we're going to spend time with him, then that's how you submit yourself to God. Whatever God says goes. He is the final authority in your life. So if you submit to God's word, then you will be able to resist the devil. He never tells you to fight the devil, by the way. The Bible never says to contend with the devil. In fact, the only place that it does tell you to do that is Job 41. And it says, okay, go ahead. Fight with the devil, remember the battle, and do no more. I mean, that's what it says. So it doesn't say fight against the devil. And there's a lot of people out there that have completely different views on that one, which they're psychos because they don't believe what the Bible says. It says resist. 
And the only way you resist the devil is by submitting to God and what his Bible says. And that's how you resist against it. And he will flee. And he's not fleeing because of you. He's fleeing because of who you belong to. And when you submit to him, then he runs. That's important for you to know. That will save your life one day. If you're willing to believe verse 7 and 8, it could save your life. All right, then lastly, so we know our enemies. We know and we can know for sure that all the enemies of God have been defeated. And you've got to know that you've got to believe that. Because if you don't believe that, then you're going to be overcome. You're going to be overcome and you are going to be defeated because you don't believe that God has already given you what you need to defeat the enemies. It's over. It's done. The battle has already been fought and God came out victorious and he's given you everything you need in order to be successful. So you've got to believe that. And so if that's the case and it is absolutely true, then winning or losing against these enemies is always a choice. It is always a choice and it is always a choice that you make. So whatever the pitfall Whatever the circumstance, whatever's coming against you to resist against you, to get you to be unfaithful, whether you buckle and cave or you contend against it properly, biblically, it is always your choice because you can have victory. Absolutely. I don't care what it is. You can have victory over whatever it is, but it's up to you. It is always your choice. Always. Take a look at Hebrews. Actually, let's, let everyone go to Romans 6 and give me someone that will go to Hebrews eleven twenty five. Anybody? All right, Isaac, you've already done it. Let's get somebody else. All right, Hebrews 11, 25. And then who else over here? There's someone else over here. Is he? Okay, go ahead. Take Ephesians 4, uh, 20, 22 through 24. All right, Hebrews eleven twenty five, And Izzy will take the Ephesians 4. And then everybody else go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Okay, listen to Hebrews eleven twenty five. Choosing Okay, so that was Moses. He chose, says choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made a choice. He made a choice. From a very young age, when we were wee little lads and lasses, when we make choices, we like to defer the blame. We don't like taking responsibility. We like to blame everybody else. We like to pull Adam and Eve's and point our fingers elsewhere rather than taking personal responsibility. Moses made a choice. I am not going to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm going to choose to be with the people of God. Same choice you have to make. All right, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Perfect. There are two phrases in there. Put off, put on. It's a choice you have to make every single day. I am going to put off the old man, the old ways, and I'm going to put on the new man, the new ways. I don't belong with the old ways anymore. I now belong in the family of the new ways. I need to put those things off and I need to put on this new, this new thing that God has for me. You have to make that choice daily. You have to. Take a look at Romans 6. All right, so I'm going to walk through this chapter. It's going to be really quick, but I just want to walk through it. And I want, I want to explain this to you because this chapter, I remember the day that I was really struggling with stuff in my own heart. And this chapter, I mean, it helped to set me free. It really helped to set me free of sins that I was really struggling with. And I love how God puts this chapter right in, right in Romans. 
Okay, so he explains the fact that we are now justified in chapter 5 by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus and how it talks about how he died for us while we were ungodly. And so then he explains that whole thing doctrinally. And then he hits chapter 6 and he says, okay, now that that's the case, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does he say? God forbid. Absolutely not. There's a lot of people that say, and they even point fingers at us and say, well, you know, you guys believe that uh, if all your sin is covered, then you can just sin however you want. And you have the liberty to sin however you want. Okay. I mean, technically, legally, by the law of God, yes, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. Like I could go out and I can go and I could smoke and I could drink and I could sleep around and I could watch whatever I wanted to watch. I could do I could do whatever I want and I am saved and I will still go to heaven. That is absolutely true. But here's the reality behind it. I will be the most miserable person on the face of the planet because inside of me is the spirit of God. And when I make those choices, I grieve him and it makes me miserable. And that's why there are some Christians and I've heard many that drive themselves to insanity and they end up committing suicide because they're not willing to get right with God. I'm not saying all cases are that way, but I have, I have known circumstances where people have taken their life because they, are, were not, they were not willing to get right with God on issues. They walked away and they literally went insane and they destroyed their lives and the lives of the people around them. And so should we continue? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We don't belong to that family anymore. So why are we doing it? Verse three, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. This is that old man, new man. When you accept Christ as your savior, you are buried with him. It's as if you died with him. And when he miraculously rose from the dead, you now are rising from the dead and having a brand new life. That's how it's supposed to be. Verse five. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. And here's why. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So when we accept Christ as our Savior, and you are now adopted into God's family, our old man is now crucified with Christ. That's why he talks about in 1 John 2, 2, that when he died on the cross, your sins were upon him. That the sins that you will commit for the rest of your life and all the sins you have committed in the past are on his shoulders. So when you receive that gift of salvation, your body of sin is with Christ in that crucifixion. And the whole point is that your body of sin might be destroyed because we were so used to just serving sin. And that way we don't have to, we don't have to serve sin any longer. And that's why it says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. If you've accepted Christ as your savior, you are now free from sin. Verse eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For that, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, so the same thing that happened to Jesus, he only died once, never to die again. Likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. And then look at what verse 12 says. If you're born again, you now have this ability. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You now have the ability through what Christ has done for you on the cross to not let sin reign. What does it mean to reign? Let's just break this down. Let's make it simple. When something reigns, what does that mean? What's that? 
It rules, which means it dictates everything. So if it dictates everything, which a lot of us, when we struggle with sin, it dictates what we do. It it dictates our life. It controls every aspect of our life. For some people, because of sin in their life, it stops them from coming to church. It stops them from being friends with other believers. It stops their ability to meet faith with their discipler. It stops their ability to read God's word. It stops their ability to pray because they're letting sin control everything. But you need to understand that as a born-again believer, you now have the ability to not let sin reign. And here's how. It says right here, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. There's so many people that are stuck in this cycle where they're like, I feel like I can't get out. That, that is simply not true. I mean, the only way that's true is if you're not saved. If you're not saved and you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, sin will control you and you can never get out. But if you do have the Spirit of God in you, you can say no. You can say, I'm done. You can say, I'm, I'm over it. Like, this cannot control me any longer. You have that ability. And so how do we do this? Verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So in the same way that sin would tempt you and then you would follow it and be obedient to that sin, now you have the ability to say, okay, no, I am now going to yield myself to God and I'm going to now obey God. Because either way, you're obeying something. Either way, either you're obeying that temptation of sin in your own heart and you're giving way and allowing yourself to go that, you're yielding to that, or you are now yielding to the ways of God. You can't have it both ways. Like, it can't exist. And so here he says, instead of yielding your members as those members of unrighteousness, now yield them as members of righteousness. And then verse 14, he repeats himself, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so that is the tension that we have back and forth as believers. Verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. And we can keep going. But I mean, it makes it very, very clear. I don't have to struggle with sin anymore. Like, I don't have to. I choose to. If I struggle with sin in my life, it's because I choose to. And God is very good and He's very patient because I think He will allow us to struggle with sin until we come to a point where we are like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? God, I'm sorry. Or He'll have to bring the hammer and break us and force us into submission because we're his children. I'm not going to let my kids go and just do whatever they want. I mean, I would be a terrible father if I did that. Now, I want them to freely choose to obey me, and I give them the opportunities to do that, but I can't, I can't force them to do that. But I can force them into submission within our household. They may not like it. <laughs> you might have a, you know, an eight-year-old that starts to turn into a three-year-old with a tantrum, I might, that might be the case, but I would much rather have that than to just let them go and do whatever they want because I love my children. And it's the same thing with God. So the whole point of that in those verses, and especially Romans 6, is for you to understand that you have a choice. Your ability to obey is your choice. Your ability to sin is your choice. Whatever you choose to do, if you want to win, you can win. If you want to lose, you can lose. 
God puts it in your court. But you got to understand your enemy and you got to understand your enemies have been defeated. So I wanted to lay that groundwork first before we get into some of the other issues because it's going to come up over and over again. But you need to understand that if you choose to sin, it's because you made the choice or you're not born again. But if you are born again, if you are saved today, then you do have the choice. You have the choice to say no. And you can if you want, but it's completely up to you. All right, any questions on any of those things? Make sense? Okay. All right, nothing? Any major doctrinal issues? Yeah, what do you got? It is. Choice. It is. That was a major doctrinal question. (laughs) Yeah, choice. All right. Okay, any questions at all? Now's the time. Anybody have anything? Yeah. Yes. Yep. I'm trying to witness to one of my friends right now where they, they say that certain parts of the Bible they just not listening to because they say like people who copied it, like let's say the Catholic, mm-hmm. they changed parts of it so they are not pleasing certain parts. How would I talk to them about that? Well, I would say, especially in, in that in that context, I would say that um, it is absolutely true that, that people throughout history have tried to change the Bible. Um, you know, you could really get into some, without getting lost in the weeds, because there are a lot of things you can come back at with that one. You really, really could. Um, you know, one of the best ways to approach that would be, uh, you know, you can't, you can't say that you love God and only take parts of it. Like, if you're going to believe God, you have to believe all of it. Like, you can't pick and choose whatever you want. It's not like a, you know, fast food restaurant menu where you've got, okay, I'm going to take a number four and not have the rest. No, it's like an all or nothing type thing. Because you can't, if you're going to believe one part and say, well, I really don't believe the other other part, well, then you're saying that God is a liar. And so that's kind of the overarching thing that I would say in that response. Emily, do you want to say something? Yes, they do. Well, I know you weren't. Yeah, Andy used to be Catholic, by the way. We weren't allowed to touch it. No, you weren't. Yeah, and that's common. I mean, that's been that's been common throughout the centuries because priests don't want. Yeah, priests don't want their people reading the Bible because if they read the Bible, they actually find out that things they're doing in the Catholic Church are completely wrong. But yeah, but I will say there is evidence because I mean you could go down that path like what Emily was talking about because there is evidence that people have tampered with the Bible. Um, when you get in the topic of and this is a term that I, I'm, I want to say, but you guys may not understand completely. But when you get into the topic, it's called manuscript evidence. And manuscript evidence is the study of where our Bible came from. And you can trace things back to where things came from because every, every Bible, every English Bible has a heritage. It has a line of text where it comes from. And when you study the whole thing out, you'll find out that really there's only two family lines. Uh, there's one family line that traces all the way back to Antioch, uh, Syria, and there's another family that traces it back to Alexandria, Egypt. And every single modern Bible translation goes back to Alexandria, Egypt. And those are the same Bibles that Catholics tend to use 
because of Origen and other guys like that, where they did change the Bible. Like Origen, you can go into the text that he took, because he took the Antiochian text, and then he began to change everything around. In over 50,000 places, he removed and added things in. And so he did do that. And so the issue that we always come back at is you want to be able to believe that your Bible is God's word. When I read my Bible, I want to be able to say, I can trust every single word in this book. And I needed to do my homework to try to figure that out. Because I know now that the Bible that I hold in my hand, every single word, is absolutely 100% true. And I know that because I've done my homework. And I, and I figured out where this Bible came from, how God preserved it throughout the centuries to give it to me today. But most Christians, they think that's a fairy tale. They don't think that's possible. Um, my issue to that, and my common argument to that, is this. Um, and I say this all the time when it comes to this topic. Okay, so in the beginning, when God created everything, where you hit the days of creation, and he created the great light and the lesser light, the sun and the moon. And then it says right there, he made the stars also. So how difficult is it to create stars? Has anyone ever done that? Yes, exactly. So they haven't even figured out everything needed to create a star. But last time I checked, no one's been able to create a star. Right? No one? Anyone? Okay. All right. Okay, good. So no one's been able to create stars. Okay. So if God can create stars, and how it actually says in his Bible that that by the word of his mouth, by the breath of his mouth, he created stars. So he just breathed and stars existed. Like if God has that ability just to breathe and stars just exist, or him by saying a single word and all of a sudden a star appears. If he has that ability, are you telling me that God does not have the ability to have a book written and then keep it intact and 100% pure throughout human history? I mean, that to me... Settles it. Is God able? Yes, he's able. If he is able, why wouldn't he? If he is known by his book, you are known by the words of your mouth and the decisions that you make. If God is known by his book, then why would he not painstakingly go through the process of keeping his word intact? And if I were the enemy of God, what would be the first thing that I would want to do? I would want to destroy God's book. Because if I can destroy and corrupt God's book, <laughs> then I can stop Christians from actually understanding God because it's their only form of communication to hear from God. Because he specifically said that this is it. This is, the, this is the completion of the revelation that he's given to us from front to back. The reason why he spoke to humans in time past is because this book wasn't written. Now this book is written, he has no need to speak to us. And even if God showed up and spake to me, you know what I would do? I would say, okay, what did you say again? All right, and so this is my final authority. Even if God were to show up and speak to me directly, I would use this book and compare what he verbally said to me to what he actually said in writing. So this is it. This is actually God's manifestation to me personally, and it's something that I can hang on and hold on to. So that's why the word of God is so important. And if there are any errors in my Bible, then why do I believe any of it? And if I'm going to pick only certain parts and others, then I don't believe that it's actually true. And if I don't believe this part's true, then how do I know the other parts are true? So everything begins to just completely fall apart. And this is why many Christians walk away from the faith. They walk away from churches because they're not taught properly. They're not taught how to trust their Bible. And frankly, most of them can't even trust their Bible because they are corrupt. So it's important. It's an important subject. So, I mean, I could go off on that one, but I'll just, I'll just stay put. That's like another topic for another day. But that's kind of in a nutshell, kind of the direction that I would go.
Does that help? Okay. <laughs> if not, it's on the podcast, and you'll be able to hear it again. Yeah, Andy. Do you think since stars are gas, God is birth? What are you, No. No, I really don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. But... It does make me regret calling on you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Any anything else? Anything else before we end? <laughs> it had something. <laughs> it's something. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's get someone to pray and close us out, and then you guys can hang out for a bit if you want. Let's get someone. <laughs> let's get someone actually isn't being voluntold. It actually has a desire. Does it say, no, I will pray. I will offer myself willingly and I will pray. Anybody? <laughs> Timmy, thank you. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this day. And just thank you so much for the ability for us to come to church and just enjoy each other's fellowship and learn more about you, Lord. And I just pray that uh, Stephen's words touch the heart of everyone here and someone learns something a little bit new today, Lord. And just thank you so much for everything you do for us in this church family and keeping us all safe during these difficult times. Lord, just thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.